We're back at you. This Life Ain't For Everybody. Today's episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. So many podcast titles, This Life Ain't For Everybody. Today's episode is brought to you again by one and only Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. Today's guest is a worker. He's grown his construction company tenfold with the help of his family, his crew, his lovely wife, Sherry, and he's responsible for building this podcast studio that we're sitting in. John Carey, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Glad to be here, Chad. Are you liking the studio? I love it, man. I think it came out real nice, man. It started out as a little vision and some sketches on some paper, and it turned out great. Isn't that how most things you build start out? Yeah. Yeah, well, we've built some houses that started on the back of a napkin in a bar, you know, just sitting there sketching, you know, what we thought it was going to look like, some fun concepts. And then uh, we take that concept into reality and we've come up with some pretty amazing custom home projects from that. What what would it do, though? Like, I want to start before we get into, like, the particulars of architecture and construction and these badass houses and and dwellings that you build and specialize in because you do condos apartments single family residences um but you you haven't always worked for yourself this you were a fighter your work ethic goes back to your young days of jujitsu um representing american teams in in all of the different pan am games and, and different world championships across the country what where was it when you were transitioning from fighting, which you grew up doing, into hammer and nails? Because you started as a hammer and nail guy, then you moved into management, superintendent, project manager, all that stuff for another construction company, and then you went out on your own. So when did you know you wanted to work in construction? Well, I, I kind of always did construction my whole life. You know, my dad was my dad was on disability when I was really young, got hurt on a job. And uh, the way we had to pay rent was doing work for our landlord. So um, my dad would need me to go help him put in a water heater or help him do roofing or help him do siding or a window replacement and a rental. So that's what we would go do. I mean, from the time I was about eight years old, you know, I'd just be up on a roof putting in shingles with my dad. And so I just kind of grew up doing it, you know, and um, just knew that that's what we had to do to pay the bills and, and pay rent. And so that's what, that's what we did. And so I, I kind of developed a a knack for it early on and just kind of decided at some point that, uh, that I was going to learn how to make money doing it. So, so when you're fighting and you're, you know, you're working for this landlord and doing these little odds and ends projects, odd jobs, you per se, do you have a mentality of being a leader at this time because of your fight career? Or were you thinking, I'm just going to go into construction and work for a company? Like, There's got to be a start to it. Like, do you want to be up on a roof the rest of your life? Do you want to be banging nails the rest of your life? Do you want to be underground the rest of your life? Like, how do you know that this is like you're going to end up owning a business someday? No, I didn't know any of that, Chad. The only thing I knew is what I knew how to do. And all I could do was be the best at what I had in front of me at that time. I didn't really, I didn't know enough about the world. My dad was not really like a traveled person, not really a highly educated person. Um, You know, I wasn't exposed to a lot of different things and careers and schooling was never a thing. You know, nobody in my dad's side of the family ever graduated from college, you know. Um, 
So there was no, those opportunities weren't in front of me. So the only thing I knew how to do every day was what was right in front of me. And I just did the best at what I had in my hand at that time. So if my dad said, pick this trash up on the side of this house and, or hang this siding or, or do whatever. I just did that to the best that I could at that time. And it was the same with fighting. I just had a fighting spirit. And so when I got on the mat, I just, I was there to kick ass and that's, that's what I had to do in front of me. And I just did the best I could at every step. And, and so it wasn't a plan. It wasn't like, Oh, I I had this elaborate plan to become the owner of a construction company someday. It just kind of evolved at every step, just doing each step at a time, the best that I could. So when you get, when you make that transition from odd jobs to getting on as a hired hand, are you in the trades? Are you going into an apprenticeship program or do you just have talent to where you said, Hey, I want to start, start sweeping the floors or whatever for a construction company and work my way up. Yeah. Yeah. That's really kind of how it started. Like just doing the dirt, you know, Uh, I worked for a roofing company for a little while and roofing's gnarly work, man. It's, it's tough work for all those roofers out there, man. If you're, if you're a roofer, I know you guys are putting in the hard work because that's, it's brutal. You know, you're up there to 110 degrees, 130 degrees on the roof and your freaking shoes are melting. Everything you touch is hot and uh, it's just brutal, you know, but, um, I, I just worked hard and every time I had an opportunity, I just took it and I just kept working hard and kept working hard. And I finally, at some point, you know, and I was thinking of, I was fighting at the same time. So I think about 16 years old is when I started getting scouted by the U S team. And by the time I was 18 years old, I was, um, I was accepted as an alternate for the U S team. And then I had my first world championship fight. Um, the first world championships when I was, uh, I think 21 and, um, so I, I, I was always kind of thinking maybe I would go pro with fighting. And so there was, there, there was kind of that battle I had, you know, trying to build my career in construction and then trying to build my career fighting too, you know? And so that was a, a juggle for a long time. So were you, I mean, you were kind of in that age bracket of, you would have been coming up with the Liddells and the Coutures and the Hendos. Why didn't you go? Pro was MMA not caught on at that time because jujitsu, obviously the Gracies were you know the first UFC family right yeah, of, yeah. way back in the day in like 1993, which is when you're graduating high school pretty much. Yeah. So why didn't you follow your fight dreams? You, you know I I I've fought the go cards, the Machados, the Gracies. I fought all those guys. I fought and 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 I I did so much time on the US team and did what I wanted to accomplish. And at that point. I, I, I was looking at my career in martial arts and I was looking at my career in construction and I already had a wife. I got married at 18 years old, six months out of high school. And, um, so I had a wife and a daughter and I'm, I'm looking at things and I just knew that the path of a fighter was going to be a lot harder on my family. Um, and so I, I made the choice to go for the more stable career in construction and, and chase it down. I knew I could, I could make more money. I could make a solid uh, steady income and uh, make it a little more stable for my family. So I saw a lot of my fighter buddies that were really struggling at that time because just up until recently, fighters just didn't make any money. I mean, you know, there, there was, it was, it was hard. I think Chuck Liddell was the first guy that really cracked a a million dollars, you know? Um, but, uh, those, I knew a lot of guys that had fight deals with Showtime and all these different places, and they, they were barely making it. You know, they could barely have enough money to, to pay their trainers. And, and uh, so it just I, – I just knew it was the, the smarter choice for my family. Now, 
my gut inside of me, it was a hard thing to walk away from because I just, I loved the fight, you know, so it was a hard thing to walk away. But um, I think it was the right thing. And I think with the fruit that my life has bared out shows that it was the right thing. So you go in from fighting and construction now full-time construction but it tears you up daily that you're not rolling on the mat and you're not kicking somebody's butt no because i think you know my the the fight i'm still a fighter but the fights just changed you know uh so I, i everything i learned in martial arts you know how to approach your opponent your mindset going into the fight i take that to work with me every day you know and whether i'm fighting for a client or I'm fighting against a client or, or I'm fighting against the county or an inspector or, or the job market or whatever it is that I'm facing, you know, whatever situation I'm dealing with, I, I, I still have that fight mindset. You know, I still have that, uh, that mentality that, that took me to the highest level of fighting, you know? So having that mentality of, of being a team leader, being a world champion, representing America was it hard for you to work for somebody? I know you're, you're your own boss now. Were you that employee that was hard to deal with? Did you have a hard time following rules and, and performing for somebody else? Or did your discipline under your coaches make you a great employee and always there on time? And then, you know, you started working your way up in the leadership ranks within the first, in, you know, the construction companies before you owned your own? Yes. Yeah, so I, I was actually a really great employee and I, I loved working for, and I worked for a great firm here in Nevada, one of the largest construction companies in, in Northern Nevada, um, very well known. And I built the state homes, you know, the, I think the cheapest house we ever built was 5 million and the biggest house I ever built for them was 81 million. So we did some crazy, that was mine, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we did some crazy projects for them and, and uh, I had a uh, great working relationship with them. And, and I would have never left them. Um, unfortunately they, at, at some point while I was there, they had a, they had a VP that was, um, that be, that was in charge there for a couple of years. That wasn't, wasn't a great leader. And he tried to strong arm me. And now uh, they, they had me work out of state down in California for a big project for a couple big projects. And they said it was, I was supposed to go down there for eight months, train the California teams and then come back to Reno. Well, eight months turned into 14 months. And I'm told them, I'm like, man, I got to come home. I'm, I'm, I'm not meant to be down here in the Bay area. I, w- I want to be with my family. And, and he said, well, the clients want you to stay down there in the Bay area and they're offering you more money. Um, so they want you to sign on a, a three-year contract with them and move your family to California and they'll pay the relocation costs. And I said, no, I can't do that, man. I got to come home. You said eight months. I, I got to come home, man. It's been too long away from my family. And, and, uh, so I said, I'm coming home. And he said, well, if you come home, I'm going to lay you off. And I said, are you kidding me? I've worked for you guys for over a decade. I've never had a job lose money. I've never had a job be late. I've never had a single customer complaint. Uh, my jobs have always just been outstanding. Like I've never had an issue. So you're really going to lay me off if I don't do what you want? And he's like, he's like, yep. So I said, have the paperwork ready. I'll be home in three hours. And that was it. And that was 2008. So you can see the writing on the wall there. That was when the economy took a tank and um, there was no work to be found anywhere. And I, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't even find a job. And, um, uh, so I started my own construction company kind of out of duress <laughs> and, um, just had to figure out a way to pay the bills. And so I did everything I could and I just built it from the ground up through blood, sweat, and tears, man. I lost everything. I lost my house I, and I didn't own, I didn't, I didn't have a single bit of debt. Um, the only thing I had debt on was my house and I had put a large amount of cash down on my house, but, um, I didn't owe any money on a car. 
uh, everything was paid off. I had boats, jet skis, dirt bikes, quads, everything was paid off. And um, then when the economy tanked and I lost my job and then my wife's company shut down, the company she was working for shut down shortly after and we lost everything. And um, I sold everything I had to start my construction company. Um, we had to foreclose on the house. Um, and uh, I just built it from the ground up, just started. I said, you know what? If this is where I'm at, this is where I'm and at. And you're just, raising kids at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Because Dominic, was, your son, Dominic, is probably being born about that time, isn't he? Yeah. What year was he born? Yeah. He's he's just about to turn 12. So that was. Oh, so he was before he was born. This was, this was right before he was born. Yeah. So you so you have your daughters there, but you you guys start this construction company and have another kid soon after. So now you're responsible for a lot. And you're taking on what's Sherry's attitude like? You know, you've been, you mentioned you've been married since six months after high school. You guys are still married. She's kind of your rock. She's an amazing person. Does she support the idea of starting your company or does she say, are you nuts? We need to freaking do something now for money because you're not going to turn a profit in your own company for a, a bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, um, I think we were both kind of in survival mode, you know, like there, there was, there was no jobs for anybody. And when her company laid her off, um, you know, she was looking for work and couldn't really find any work. And so she started, you know, independently going out and, and working for people, which I, I, that's really how my wife kind of got hooked up with you and met you. Um, uh, Well, you introduced her to me. Yeah. Yeah. And she was coming off of that. We had met you and I had met in 06 at the gym. I was teaching you how to do bicep curls and, <laughs> and they, but they, yeah, when we started banded in the foul life, Sherry, she's still our business manager, but she started as my business manager that year yeah. of helping me run it from day one, yeah. which is crazy. Right. Cause that was 2008, 2009, right. When she was getting laid off. Yeah. Yeah. Or right. When the company shut down, right. When the company shut down. And so we, we, we were both just, all we knew how to do was work and we were just going to find a way to work, you know? And, um, I, I know people always say, you know, it's, it's hard. I can't find work or I can't find jobs. And I just don't understand that because I feel like if you're willing to work, there's work, man, like there's work. You just gotta be, you gotta be willing to put the grind down. And, and I can tell you, Chad, there's, there's been jobs that I've done where I have literally been like, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. You know, um, one story in particular sticks out to me where we had gone to California to work on this guy's house. And again, this was in the start of my construction company. So that there was work was slim, you know, there was, so if you had a job, you just took it. And this guy, he knew that, and he was a very wealthy guy and he had a house out in California and he wanted us to come do a bunch of work on it. So we agreed on a certain scope of work and a certain cost. And we came in and we were there for about a, a week getting all this work done. And uh, it was time to leave. And, uh, as we're leaving, he says, Hey, can you go up on the roof and replace this, these tiles that are, it's a tile roof that, that was, you know, there were a couple of tiles that were like popped up and he said, can you go up there on the roof and, and, uh, fix that? And I said, you know, honestly, like it's getting dark. We're getting ready to head out. Like I, I, I don't have the proper ladders to do that. Um, you know, you call a roofer and have it done. And he says, he says, okay, that's fine. He said, but, um, I'll send your check in the mail in a couple of weeks. And he knew, he, he knew the situation I was in. He knew, you know, I, I needed money. And so he was just trying to, you know, exploit the situation a little bit. And I said, I said, really? I said, we had an agreement and you said you'd pay me as soon as we were done. I said, I, I, I need the money and I, I need, I, are you really going to make me do this? And he's like, 
He's like, if you want to get paid, he said, I'll write you a check right now if you climb up there and do it. He said, but otherwise you're going to have to wait. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. So I climb up on this roof and um, this is two story roof. He's in the backyard messing with his pool. And as soon as I step onto the roof, whoever had put the roof on had totally screwed it up. It was just all done wrong. So as soon as I stepped on the roof, the whole, this whole sheet of tile just broke off the roof and slid right off. And so I fell from a, from a two-story roof and uh, fell down on the ground. I'm laying in a pile of tile and just, you know, making sure nothing's broke. I'm, I'm hurting pretty good. I mean, it was, it was pretty gnarly fall, you know. And uh, the homeowner comes around the corner and he's like, He's like, uh, didn't say, Hey, are you okay? Anything. He's like, what'd you do? What'd you do? You better fix that before you go. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? So I, I literally loaded all the tile up in a bucket, climbed my ass right back up on that ladder and fixed his roof. And, um, why didn't you lay him out? You were a U.S. fighter. Like you couldn't lay him out and just take the money out of his pocket. <laughs> just leave him there. Well, that's, that's boy. I'll tell you, that's what I wanted to leave do. Leave him there to freaking suffer for a minute. Little prick. You know, that's what I wanted to do. But you know, life, life is funny and, and karma's a bitch, you know? And when, oh, yeah. when other people take advantage of other people, that's on him. That wasn't on me. You know, he's going to pay for that someday. And I'm not, I'm going to, you know, I, I, I have a servant's heart and I was just there to do what needed to be done. And, and if that's what he thought that he needed at that point, and he was going to take advantage of it, then that's on him. And so I went back up there, fixed the roof, got in the truck and drove home and I was in pain. I, I, uh, I dislocated my, um, I, I dislocated a few ribs. I had some ribs out of place and dislocated my shoulder and, um, and my hip was, my hip wasn't dislocated, but it was, it was, it was hurting pretty bad. I had to go get, you know, worked on and everything. And I was sore for, <laughs> I was sore for several weeks. And it's funny because that was the exact same day that Kenny Gwynn, the governor of Nevada fell off his roof and died. That's same day. Same day. It was funny because I got in the truck to drive back and it came across the radio, you know? And, uh, so it was kind of a interesting thing, but, um, no, I just, you know, I, I just, didn't know how to do anything else, but just work, fight through every problem that was in front of me. And that was part of the warrior's creed that I grew up underneath. You know, you, you appreciate every challenge that's in front of you, you know, because without the dark, you can't appreciate the light and without the pain, you can't appreciate the pleasure, you know? So whatever the challenge is in front of you, just appreciate it and absorb it and get through it because there's something else on the other side. So is that spiritual? Is that religious? Did you come up as a religious person? Are you a follower? Or is this something that you kind of just took a whole bunch of analogies of ex-athletes, fighters, coaches, and kind of created your own melting pot of beliefs? Yeah, that's kind of, that's a little bit of that. You know, I, I am a believer. I, um, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I don't really prescribe to a certain religion per se. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ, whatever. Um, but I don't, um, I don't say I'm a, I'm a seventh day Adventist or I'm a, I'm a Methodist or a whatever. I, I don't really subscribe to any particular man-made religion. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of beliefs that are deeply spiritual that are also rooted in the, in the martial arts side of my life, you know, um, centering my energy and, you know, things like that, chakras, those kind of things. I, I believe in them um, because uh, I, I've, I've used them and, I, and I've experienced them in my life. So um, I, I believe in them. But I, I would say I'm a spiritual person based with a Christian, a Christian foundation. Um, 
the martial arts part of thing is very intriguing to me because every kid watched Bruce Lee, every kid watched Kung Fu, Chuck Norris, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal, maybe, you know, coming up. But the mentality of Kung Fu or Taekwondo or karate or any of the disciplines it is very spiritual. It's it's not about going out and creating havoc or showing off or it's more of, you know, defense and, and defending what's yours. And that mentality kind of plays into what you're doing. You're defending what was yours. You had to raise this family. So that mindset's pretty evident in everything that you're getting ready to embark on, you know, building this company, especially like in the worst time in history, you and I chose to try to build a company, you know, like I, and t- we started our company in 2008. Right. Our restaurants were literally booming at the time that we had started. And then when the construction fell out, there was companies that were huge that were going under. You know, BK was being filed everywhere. I lost my knack for I wasn't a restauranteur. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just knew that I could sell food to my construction companies because at the same time I was part owner in a portable toilet company. Well, it was it was started to wreak havoc on us. So at that time, I said, you know what, I'm going to go out and do something in the hunting industry. And that's when Banded was started and the foul life and all that. But me and you kind of are embarking on this deal of <clears throat> as soon as 2009 hit, I was no longer on payroll for any company in the world except my own. I wasn't getting a paycheck and neither were you. So when does that happen? When does that happen? Because now you're in a deal to where construction is pretty much null and void. There's some utility going on. There's some road work going on through the city or the county or the state. But big projects like these estate homes you're talking about or the home builders, like there was Lennar here. There was D.R. Horton. There was Barker Coleman. They were all here. They were leaving. They were dried up and gone. I remember ranches selling for $17 million, $20 million that homeowners were buying up that now the bank had them back because those homeowners closed up and left town went back to the bay area filed bankruptcy on their projects up here went back and tried to continue where they were but when does it happen for you to where you're like holy shit there is light there is going to be some pleasure with all this pain oh my god there is light at the end of the tunnel i am seeing you know through all these trees i am seeing a little glimmer of hope was it too because the the it didn't really start getting better around here for some time no it was it was a it was a few years into it i think um it took me probably four years into my business because I was a project manager for for that company and 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 making a lot of money when I got laid off. I, I did very well for a young guy. Um, I was making a significant salary, and um, so it took me about it took me about five years, four four or five years into my business to replace my my income, and then from there it just ex- exponentially started exploding. But I think the real turning point for me was I, I and. This may sound um, strange, but there was a, like a, a, a an actual turning point for me where I saw, I kind of saw things in front of me and it just changed my whole perspective. It changed everything about the way I approached my business, my life, everything. And I remember I was so frustrated. I was so angry one day because, and I was just kind of praying and I was like, God, why have I had to fight for everything in my life? Like literally, I feel like, I have fought for every meal that I've ever eaten, you know, like I just, nothing ever came easy to me. Nothing was ever handed to me. Like I, I literally fought for everything and I just was so upset, you know, and I'm like, can one thing just go easy for me? Can something just go right for me? Do I have to struggle and fight for everything, you know? And, and so I was having kind of this moment where I was praying and, and, um, and, uh, 
it, it was the clearest I think I've ever heard from God. And I just asked the question, do I, is anything ever going to be easy? Can something just get handed to me? And just as clear as day, just no. The answer was no. And in that moment, I knew it was something beyond myself because in that moment, I began to see like an epiphany unfold in front of me. So in a matter of seconds, I saw that this whole thing come, and come to me. And I began to see that, that we weren't created to not have struggle. Our bodies were created for struggle. Our minds were created for struggle. Our, everything about us, our spirit was created for struggle. We are not... We are not meant to sit in the lap of luxury and just live these cush lives. That's not what we're built for. If you look at anybody that's ever done anything good in this world from the beginning of time until now, it has come at the, the cost of pain, the cost of heartache, the cost of drive and push and hurt. And that's how things get accomplished. That's how things get done. Um, you know, when you look at people that have life too easy, and they start to create their own problems. You know, you look at people like, um, you know, so there's a lot of famous people that have had things kind of handed to them and they grew up, you know, let's like a Paris Hilton, for instance, you know, and um, when they're younger years, they everything's been handed to them. So things are so easy for them that they start to create their own drama and their own pain because there's no positive outside force pushing them or, you know, or really working on their lives. And so I think a lot of us resist that force and that pressure, but if we'd learn how to embrace it, um, I think we'd get a lot further. And I think that's really was that, that turning point for me right there, realizing that no, nothing was going to get handed to me. It was all going to come at a cost and I had to work my ass off and there was no, and when I just at that point said, okay, and I accepted it. And from that point on, I just knew that that was going to be part of my life. And uh, it, it was it was life changing for me. I just accepted the struggle. I accepted the pain. And um, and then I started just having breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. And then my company from that day forward, every year doubled in size and then to the company that it is now. So if you applied that same mentality to relationships, marriages, <clears throat> friendships, are you saying that nobody should ever get divorced or is there uh, is there truth that some people aren't meant to be friends? Some people aren't meant to be in a loving relationship. Some people aren't meant to be married because if you take that analogy of what you just said, that people are, aren't willing to fight for something. People, our bodies weren't put in a position just to go meet somebody. Oh, everything's glorious. Now relationships are work. hundred percent. They're work. Marriages are work. Being a father, a mother is work, communication, discipline, organization, time management, financial responsibility, everything, accountability. Why do so many people fail in the eyes of America with our, with our, I think our divorce rate's like 55%. Are people giving up too early because they're, they just want something to be easy? Are we, are we wired to think, oh, if it's meant to be, we'll just get along from the beginning and we'll fall happily in love. And these, these puppy love stages are going to last forever. And when that puppy love ends and they, and they, face that struggle or that real, oh my God, we got to put food on the table or, oh my God, our love's not going to be able to survive this argument. Do you think people give up too easy in a relationship? Uh, absolutely. I think that people give up on everything too easily. Um, I, I think a lot of people aren't successful because they give up too soon, too easy. Um, I think a lot of people commit suicide because they give up too soon, too easy. Um, they, they don't embrace the struggle. They don't embrace the pain. Um, they, they think it's never going to get any better. It's, you know, they, and you know, what I've learned, Chad, is that, 
um, the world is full of followers and there's very few leaders. Um, there's a whole lot of people that want to be leaders um, and that, that act like they're going to be leaders. But when, when it really shakes out, there's very few people that are willing to put in what it takes to be a true leader. Um, being a true leader is not about being the guy that just tells people what to do. Being a true leader means that I go and do it first and I go and figure it out. And then I show all the people behind me what I just did. That's what being a leader is about. You know, it's, it's being the guy that broke the four minute mile. You know, he didn't just coach some other guy how to do it. He was the guy that went and did it. That's being a leader. That's a true leader. You know, uh, we recently had a situation on one of the big custom homes I was building where uh, my employees failed to do something properly on the house. You know, we, we, um, there, was a, there was a part underneath the house where the guys couldn't get to, where the, the crawl space got really tight and the guys couldn't get to it. And so they just ignored it. And um, I found out about it. And so I confronted the guys about it and they're like, well, it's under there where you can't really get to it. So it's not a big deal. And I'm like, no, it's a big deal. I don't care if nobody can see it. I know what's right and what's on the plans and what's supposed to be there. And so they kind of argued with me about it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go do it myself then. And so I got all the supplies and I had my, my, one of my superintendents crawl under the house with me. I crawled under there and I stayed under that house for six hours doing that work and getting that part of the house done. And my, my, my superintendent could not believe that I did it. And so he took a picture of me under the house and he blew it up in a poster size and then put it in the war room at work. And he had a poster made and it says, don't tell me it's done until it's done, you know, until it's really done. And he put that saying on it and then showed the guys, look, you guys, all this, everybody was in that house. Everybody was working on that house. And the owner himself had to go out there and do it because you guys wouldn't do it. And that's just how that's that's the kind of leadership that I think is true leadership. You know, when you're you're not going to ask your guys to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. And every guy that works for me, um, I think, knows that now, you know, and has learned that about me over time um, from the top superintendent to the to the guy who's hauling trash for me. You know, they all know that that I would do any one of those jobs at any given time. Right. And you that's the problem. A lot of the problem with our society is that people without hearing your story and knowing the the peaks and valleys of it, a lot of us are quick to pass judgment and create that what you talked about being drama. But a lot of us pass judgment on success because we don't have a full understanding of what it takes to get there. So it's easier to mock somebody or cut somebody down or, or, or drill somebody because you really want that. Those people really want that. Like anybody in their right mind would want to have that story of all of failure. It's like the story of Rocky Balboa. Everything's gone and I'm going to become the world champion, right? I'm going to go fight Apollo Creed. I'm going to go fight Hulk Hogan or Mr. T or Yvonne Drago. I'm going to fight the world. And that's what the Rocky movie showed us is that you're never out of the fight. And I think that a lot of people are quick to jump in and go like, oh man, you know, John has it all. Really? No, John built it all. John and Sherry built it all. You know, you have a nice house now. You're getting ready to build a nicer house. You have nice toys again. But at one time you had those toys before and had to watch them all go out the door and hit rock bottom. Right. So then when people see that success, I think more people need to understand the story and what it's taken to be 
oh my gosh, it can be done. If people would open up their idea tank and be like, I wonder if I could do that. Get under that house and do the job first and become a leader. <clears throat> it's very, very, very hard to do. Remy Warren sat right where you're at the other day and said, a lot of people want it, but they don't understand or they're not willing to put in the work to do it. Yeah. And it takes a lot. It truly takes a lot to get to where you've gotten. And I think that, you know, the transition of all of the the peaks and valley, they come with tenacity. I think that grit and tenacity is what leaders have to have because you are going to have way more doors shut on you than you are going to have open for you. And then when they are open for you, you're like, what? That really just happened? It's almost hard to accept that part of it. Success is hard on people. There's people in the music business and the acting business and celebrity business that have to go to workshops and rehab, not drug, not alcohol, not sex, not anything. They have to go and figure out how to be, accept success. There's courses that are, can you really accept success right now at this point in your life, John? Can you like look at it and go like, holy shit? No, no. And sometimes it is hard for me because like I said, my family, um, my the majority of my family struggles, especially on my dad's right. side of the family. They, they all, um, you know, struggle financially. And so for me to be at the point in my life where, you know, we're as successful as we are, um, that's sometimes that's hard for me, you know? Um, but I give a lot to my family and, um, I do what I can for them. And, and, uh, but yeah, it's crazy how so many people spend their life avoiding the struggle and avoiding the pain. And what they don't understand is they're just creating a different pain and a different struggle. So what are you going to have the pain of success or are you going to have the pain of failure? You know, do you at 25 or at, excuse me, do you, do you at 55 years old, look back at your life and go, man, I wish I would have, I wished I could have, I wished I should have, I, I could I have done something different, man. I really, you know, regrets and all the, the pain of regret and the pain of all that. Or do you, you look at your life at 55 and go, damn, that was one hard mountain to climb, but I climbed that mother, you know, and, and, and I'd rather be the guy that climbed that freaking mountain. You know, I'd rather be the guy with the, with the rugged, with the, with the rugged torn up jeans and the, the bleeding hands standing at the top of the mountain go, yeah, I freaking did but it. But at the top of that mountain though, and that, that mindset of, yeah, I did it. There's a saying out there and songs written about it's lonely at the top, but it's a bitch at the bottom. So you also have to keep that in mind as you start to climb the rungs of that ladder of success, okay? There's nothing wrong with not being a leader and there's nothing wrong with having a nine to five job. There's nothing wrong with working. That's what makes the world go around. Yeah. Leaders create opportunities. People, they, the leaders couldn't do what they do without the people that are, are, that are representing them, that are doing the work, that are, you know, being accountable for all that. So that there's a lot of leaders that make it and they climb that rung and they tend to separate themselves naturally. Natural progression tells us that there are going to be people that fall off because, oh, my God, he's really doing it or she's really doing it. So then you lose friends. Yeah. You lose the support system a lot becoming a leader and having the balls or, to take that risk. Yeah. They say the only risk is a risk not taken. But if you take that risk to go out and do what you've done and build that, you stand the chance of losing the people that you thought were the closest to you. And I know that it's happened. I know that it happens all the time with people I know. It's happened to me personally. To you me. could treat, you said you have a give a giver's heart. You said you have a servant's heart. So do I. You know how I am. But when you start to separate yourself, it almost seems like, wow, they're, they're, they're hating on me because of what? Yeah. I didn't step on them to get to this level. 
I'm not going to step on somebody to jump to the next level. It's hard work. It's tenacity. It's not giving up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that can happen too. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, there's there's something about, like you said, being at the top of the mountain and then all of a sudden you realize like, is this it? Is this it? Is this, is there supposed to be more? You know, and that, and that's that's actually um, a very interesting thing. That's where you get into a, a whole nother issue, and they call it uh, post-climatic stress disorder. And that's something that a lot of athletes deal with. And that's why it's really amazing to have an athlete like my, Michael Phelps, who uh, to this day I admire deeply because of what he did. Um, you know, a lot of people, the worst thing that can happen to them is for them to hit the top because then they don't know what to do. You know, if you go to the world championships like I did and you get a silver medal like I did, what do you do? You're like, God, I can't believe I got the silver and I got to go back and train harder because I'm going back and I'm getting the gold, right? So it gives you something to fight for. It gives you something to train for and you're back in the gym training, right? But then I know guys that won the gold medal and they're like on top of the world, you know, and they expect their whole life to change and the trumpets to come out and the fanfare to be there. But... A week later, all that's gone, and they're still the same old person sitting in the same old life with a gold medal now. And what, what does that mean? It's, it's almost now, like, what, now, how do I train again? Because I've already won the gold medal. Yeah. How do I do this again? And so Michael Phelps, not only did he repeat, but then he repeated again, and then he hit rock bottom. You know, well, I, well, I wouldn't say rock bottom, but he hit a bad spot where sponsors were sponsors were dropping him and he, he went through a lot of pain yeah. and he had the guts to put it all back together and go win another gold medal. And people don't understand how hard that is. They think, oh, he's just amazing. But is athlete. he going to be OK when he's done with that one? I, you know, I don't know. That's it's each person's own journey. I think that the the. the that's as a person, you got to decide what your fight's going to be at every stage of life. And I think that that's what people don't do. You know, even if you're at retirement, if you're looking at, okay, I'm going to end my working career and it's time for me to retire now, you better pick your fight. You better pick your fight. Like, what is it that I'm going to do during retirement? You better have goals. You better have ideas. You better have thoughts. If your goal is just to go surf every big wave across the country or, or across the world, or if your, goal is to, if your goal is to just go visit every baseball field in, in America and sit in every baseball stadium, or if your goal is to go hunt every, the best duck field you can find in all of the U.S., those are all admirable goals. But you better have something. Otherwise, you're just going to be at home, sitting on the couch, bored out of your mind. You, you have to put pressure on your life. That's what I was getting at earlier. You know, like you have to have that pressure on your life because if you we're, we're made for it. And if it's not there, think about kids that don't have fathers that are there putting that pressure on their life, teaching them. You forge a, you forge a good man under fire. And if, if, if that if that pressure's not on him, I look at my son. If I don't put the pressure on my son, he's 12 years old right now. Boy, he can be a he can be a little shithead sometimes. I love him to death, but man, if I don't keep that pressure on him, and he's a good kid, he's not a bad kid, but if I don't keep that pressure on him. Do you ever walk away feeling guilty for being the one that has the balls to do that though? Because you very easily could turn in there and like I I like when you're a leader and you have employees and you have to get on them or you get your father and you have to get on your your son or your daughter, you there's a sense of you that goes through you like could I have handled that different? I don't know like what the right way to do it is. There's got to be respect. You don't want to be demeaning at all. But there's also the fact of like, I have to say something right now. 
That's yeah. pressure on you now. I have to say something. I This is not how I want it done as my the employer or the boss or the leader. This is not how I want it done in my son or my daughter. I have to say something right now. So now there's that pressure that you put on yourself of doing it the right way. That's where my upbringing might have been different than yours. I would get hit with a belt once in a while. Now, if somebody spanks their kid in public, they go to jail. Like it's, 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 there's pressure on the way you deliver that message now too, right? Yeah. yeah like yeah. how much pressure can Dominic take, but how much pressure is John putting on himself in saying that message to his son that he loves so much? But if you don't, you're doing him a, a, a dishon, a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Disservice, you're, yeah. you're doing him a disservice by not. Yeah. Telling them that, like, if I see something being done wrong that I don't want it being done like that in my organization or whosoever organization, the bot, you know, that you're talking about, they have to figure out how to get that point across the right way, and that's a lot of pressure too, because some people aren't equipped, John, or wired to take it. Well, and, and that's why I also think a good leader is all things to all people, because you can't be just, I can't be just. John Kerry and do it the way I want to do it. Because I, what I've learned is, is that every person has to be dealt with uniquely and differently to For get sure. the most out of that person. And it's the same with your kids. There's no two kids that are alike. I remember when we had my daughter and she was the easiest kid in the world. The kid cleaned her own room, cleaned up after herself, ate anything you put in front of her, just was the nicest, sweetest, most well-mannered kid you've ever seen in your life. Just obedient. I, 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 I never, I, I literally never spanked that kid. I never spanked that kid. I, I didn't even have to. Like, I would just look at her with disappointment and she would just be like, I'm uh -oh. sorry. Let you know, like, if, and if I even told her, like, I'm so disappointed in you, that was it. That was the worst spanking I could give her. I never had to go further than that. And it was funny because we'd be in a restaurant with our daughter, you know, and she's, you know, six, seven years old or whatever. And people would come in with a kid and kids acting like a hooligan. And, you know, and my wife and I are just sitting there shaking our heads like, oh my God, those people need how to be, learn how to be better parents, you know, like get control of your kid, you know? And then we were kind of almost judgmental. And then when we had Dominic, it was like, an awakening because he was that monster and he, he just had so much energy and he was all over the place and he wasn't like Alexis. He wasn't easy. He was hard. He was a challenge. And we had to put a completely different pressure on his life than we did our daughter. And in order to get him to perform at his highest level, we had to pressure him in a completely different way than we pressured our daughter. You know, uh, my daughter's getting ready to go to med school. Brilliant, brilliant kid graduating from UNR top of her class in you know, summa cum laude, you know, um, um, all of that. And the pressures we put on her were completely different than what we've had to do with our son. And I, I learned that at work, you know, uh, my employees to get the best out of each employee, you have to find out what motivates them, find out how to work with their personality, find out how to deal with them individually. You can't just treat everybody the same. That's, it just doesn't work that way. If you want to get the best out of somebody, you got to learn how to deal with them on in a way that works best for them and find a way to put pressure on them in a positive way that keeps them moving. And, um, when you do that, you bring the best out of people. And if you find somebody that just can't get it and just doesn't get it, then, you know, you got a bad apple and you got to move on and get rid of that person. But I, I am one of those people that I hang on and I, and I really, even my employees will tell you that sometimes I hang on to guys a little too long because I'm trying to give them every chance possible, yeah. you know, and I probably should have servant's heart coming back. You know, I really want to give guys the opportunity to, 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 to make it and to get okay. And we had this young guy working for us, um, 
he's been he's been with us now for about three years and when he first started working for us boy he was a challenge but i could see the talent in the kid he was this talented kid man and he just he was a little flighty would call into work sick a lot and you know just you know and it was probably the brown bottle flu and you know partying with his buddies and all that but i just told the foreman i'm like let's hang on to this kid and let's keep working with him you know i said i have a feeling this kid probably didn't have a great dad figure in his life and he just needs some positive male pressure so i got all of our our superintendents together and i said look we're gonna we're gonna mentor this kid we're gonna be this kid's dad and we're not going to say it like that. We're not going to approach him like that, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to be a strong male figure in his life and we're not going to let him fail. He's going to learn that we're going to drag him through it. We're going to fight him through it. And we're going to, and when we did that for him, dude, this kid is an outstanding employee now. Outstanding. Shows up when he's supposed to, works his ass off. And, and it was because we, we got in the dirt with him and, and pulled him up. Put the right it. pressures on him and you didn't give up on him. Yep. All right, I want to continue this. We got to do part two because we haven't even got into where the company's at now. We kind of got sidetracked on leadership, which I want. I love that kind of talk because you can't build a company like you have without the right mentality, the right mental approach, mentality, focus, all of the things that you hear that were on those dentist wall, dentist office walls, those posters. Right. Those are serious, serious stuff. People that wrote those weren't wasting their time. They knew what they were talking about. And there's a lot that goes into every single part that of that piece of that puzzle that at the end of it, when it's all put together, it says success on it. Now, what is success? I want to get into gratification, how hard it is for me personally to deal with the lows, not even lows that are negative, the lows of there's nothing going on. I just got a huge deal. I was waiting for that phone call. They just gave it to me. I should be, I should be just reminiscing. I should just be so rejoiceful right now that this is happening, but I'm waiting for the next one, working on the next one. My mind's telling me, got to get to the next one. Is that right or wrong? Is that what keeps the wheels greased? Is that what keeps the machine going? Like, I don't know, like when I, if I'm not out on the road, I'm just at home. Am I, the fear of missing out is, am I missing on something? So you automatically got to understand as the leader, like there's a balance. <clears throat> you got to figure out what you, all of those different pieces from family to fatherhood, to discipline, to your employees, to success, to the failures. There's a lot to deal with in life. Life, like you started this with is tough. So I want to have part two. Can we do that next week? Yeah. That's yeah, John Kerry. The guy is kicking ass. Sherry, you were so lucky. I hope you're listening to this, Sherry Carey. Julia Gulia from the wedding singer. Your name is gonna be Julia Gulia. That was that an issue when you're when she when her mom and dad are like, your name's gonna be Sherry Carey. It's like Harry Carey. I hey, I think Sherry Carey has a nice ring to it. I think it does too. She's got a nice ring on too. So Sherry, you're lucky. That's John Carey, Dickie's workwear podcast series right here at the Fat Life. We will be back with part two and we are gonna touch on a lot more. This might turn into a two, three, four part segment. John might you might need your own podcast someday. You might need to sit down and talk to people about risks and the pressures. I remember talking to John years ago about the, the, how to apply pressure the right way on yourself and amongst others and how to get the most out of people in a positive way. We're going to continue this. We're going to touch on a lot more. This Life Ain't For Everybody, again, brought to you by Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. And our friends and family at Rigid Industries own the night. Light up your world. See the lights, y'all. I love Rigid. I'm going on a four-wheeler ride tomorrow night. It's going to be woke. 
I'm going to get woke on my UTV and my ATV. Tom, Jake, hit that button. This song is called, this song's perfect for what we've been talking about. What you going to do when the money's all gone? Written by Drake White and Leith Lofton. This version's performed by the one and only, a.k.a. Haas, Leith Lofton. Y'all enjoy. Thanks for being here. Make good use of your time on earth.